Ήχερα δεν αυτό γεφθάμενον της αρκός αυτού και τούτο προλαβών της Αγίας ευχόης ο άρτης της είναι επικράτης είναι αντίστασικά επικράτης Listening to Vexed, a program on the Ephesus School Network. I'm Andrea Bacchus, your curator through biblical literature and its world and culture. Just as a museum curator selects, acquires, cares for, repairs objects, and discovers frauds and counterfeits, I'll be sifting through our world and culture for examples to help us better understand. The biblical text. In today's episode, I'd like to talk about an aspect of the Bible that we don't hear much about or consider when we're reading it, and that is its earliest form, the scroll. When I use the term form, I mean the medium, the means by which something is communicated or expressed. A painter paints on a canvas. The canvas is the form. A writer writes a book. The book is the form. The biblical texts were originally written on scrolls, and we have scrolls and their use actually referenced in the biblical text itself. So to ground us in this item, the biblical scroll, let's start with its use in the Bible. The word for scroll is Megillah in Hebrew, from the Hebrew word galal, which means to roll, to roll away. In the section of the Old Testament known as the writings, the following books are a collection. Ruth, the Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, and Esther are known as the Five Scrolls, or Five Megillot, Megillot being the plural of Megillah. This word scroll is found in the books of the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel, also in the Psalms. We find scroll heavily used in Jeremiah chapter 36, where God is commanding that his judgment against Israel, Judah, and all the nations be written on a scroll and read aloud to the people so that all might hear his judgment. When you hear Jeremiah 36, you are pelted with this word. In just one chapter, the word scroll occurs over 20 times. This chapter is particularly interesting because in it, we hear a description of how the scroll was used. We hear some very useful context for our discussion. We hear about how the scroll was kept and managed. We hear that this record of God's judgment is to be read aloud to the people. We hear the story of King Joachim, who is displeased with God's words. And as the reader, 
unrolls the scroll and reads it column by column. The king takes the scribe's penknife and cuts each successive leaf of the scroll as it unrolls and throws it in the fire. It's a dramatic chapter with some powerful imagery. The king burning, destroying God's command and judgment. Now, let's turn our attention outside the content of the biblical text and focus on the form of the scroll, its physical properties, and how it worked. My aim in this episode is to demonstrate what a radically different technology the scroll was from the medium we use today, the book, and to show how this technology influenced how the biblical text was read and intended to be heard. Today, we read the Bible in the form of a book, sheets of paper bound and covered. We open it when we want to read it and close it when we don't. We turn the pages as our way of advancing across the text. Book form gives the reader freedom. The reader easily controls the text. They can start reading at the beginning or begin at another place in the text by turning the page. They can jump chapters, start in the middle, or advance to the end. This is a description of essentially what a book is and the way that a book works. But book form, the way we know it today, is a fairly recent development. Although the book has been around since about the 3rd century A.D., The type-printed form that we know today, that is mass-produced and widely available, debuted in 1436 AD, when German goldsmith Johannes Gutenberg invented the printing press. That was only 585 years ago. Long before that, there was the scroll. The concepts of form and function apply to the ancient scroll. It is widely known that form and function are closely related. There is a relationship between the structure of a thing and the way that it functions. In the case of the biblical scroll, my contention is that its form dictated its function. It was a tool of liturgy meant to be read aloud to the congregation gathered to hear its content read to them. This connection between the form of scroll and its liturgical function is lost today because texts are conveyed to us in book form. Book form enables individual private reading. In fact, this is the predominant way we think about books and Bibles. It's a given that we read individually. But private reading was largely foreign to the ancients, and certainly unheard of in a religious context. The study of biblical scrolls was done in community. The average person didn't take home a scroll for private reading. So today, I'd like to revive this connection, to make this close relationship between form and function more present and palpable for us to add to our understanding and appreciation of the biblical text. 
Form and function are complements. From anatomy and physiology, we know that the form of each body structure allows that structure to carry out its specific task. What a structure can do depends on its form. The human hand, for example, with its opposable thumb and four fingers, is set up in such a way as to enable the hand to grasp and manipulate objects. The form also limits the possible functions. We don't use our hands to hear. They are not designed for that purpose. Similarly, the form of the biblical scroll is designed for a particular purpose. It is intended to be used for communal instruction. Its form forces the reader to read the text in a particular way. It imposes limits on and controls both the reader and the reading. The reader is forced to submit to the scroll. How and what do I mean here? To answer this question, let's examine the features of one of the oldest biblical scrolls known to date, the Isaiah scroll from the Dead Sea Scrolls collection. The Isaiah scroll is the best preserved, most complete, and longest of the biblical scrolls in the collection, and arguably the most highlighted. The Isaiah scroll is housed and cared for by the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. You can view the Isaiah scroll online. Not just a picture of it, you can, pardon the pun, scroll through it section by section and look at it in detail. There's a feature on the website which is called the Isaiah scroll on a timeline. It gives some wonderful details about the scroll and walks you through how the ancients would craft scrolls from the raw materials. I highly recommend a look through it. The Isaiah scroll contains the text of the book of Isaiah. Recall that the book of Isaiah is among the prophetic books in the Old Testament. It is the first book of the latter prophets, followed by Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the scroll of the Twelve Prophets. Carbon dating has determined the date of the Isaiah scroll to be 125 to 100 BC, the Hellenistic era. The scroll is 24 feet long. Its height is about 10 to 10.6 inches. I have not yet found any data on its weight. It is 17 sheets of sheep or goatskin parchment, sources differ on this, sewn together with threads of linen to render one continuous scroll. Leather strips were attached to the ends to tighten and bind it when rolled up, and there are markings on the scroll where these straps would have been attached. The text is only written on one side of the scroll. The front or the inside referred to as recto, and the back side, outside, the verso side, is blank. The Isaiah scroll has 54 vertical columns of text. Though they are only vaguely perceptible today, the scroll was lined vertically to separate columns, 
and also horizontally to guide the scribe. The letters are written below the lines, so-called suspended letters. The text is written from right to left in Hebrew block letters. Consonants only. Vowels were not introduced to the Old Testament manuscripts until about the 6th century with the Masoretic texts. The text has no punctuation and little separation between words. There are no divisions of chapters and verses the way our Bibles have them today. There are blank spaces at various places in the text, presumably to indicate an ending or beginning of a topic or theme. Although my read of the location of these blank spaces doesn't bear that out, perhaps they are a cue to the reader to emphasize or change their tone of voice depending on what the text is conveying. I don't know. Aside from these blank spaces found at various places throughout the text, it is one continuous text, meaning there are no column numbers or page numbers, no aids for the reader to quickly and easily hone in on a particular text. The scroll is held sideways for unrolling and reading. Now that we have reviewed the form of the Isaiah scroll, the next question is, how did it function? How would it work? How would one read a 24-foot-long document? How do the facts of the form inform our understanding? A scroll like the Isaiah scroll worked in the context of community, a group of people. The community would handle its care and use, and special readers would read it to the community. How do I know this? I contend that the physical features of the scroll reveal its communal function. Consider the following factors and also the contrast with books today. Factor number one, its large size. A 24-foot scroll was too large and unwieldy to be handled by one person alone. You needed several people to carry it, handle it, unroll it, and to read it to the congregation. The reader needed the assistance of others. He could not hold it, steady it, unroll it, and read it by himself. One also needed a good deal of space and perhaps the assistance of a table or other physical support to handle the scroll, and this would require a community effort. The scroll's size demanded community participation. Except for Jewish communities who employ Torah scrolls of some considerable size in their services, we don't have this in our religious communities today. Contrast this with books today that are easily carried by one person. No one would stop to think twice about this. Since it is small and usually light, the reader of a book has control over the book. He can carry it around in a backpack or even in his back pocket, and holding it to read it is virtually effortless. 
He doesn't need other people to be present in order to read his book. Factor number two. The text written on the scroll is continuous, the letters are all capitals, and only consonants. The text is continuous. What I mean by this is that, with the exception of blank spaces at various points in the text, there is no way to distinguish one sentence from another. There is no punctuation. How would you know what emphasis to give where without punctuation? It's hard for us to even imagine writing without punctuation. There are no separations by chapter, no titles or indexing. There are no aids to help orient the reader. No visual cue or method for distinguishing. There is no upper and lower case. There are no capital letters at the beginning of a noun, for instance, to distinguish a proper noun, the way we have in English. The letters are all uppercase, all block capitals. All the letters are consonants. There are no vowel letters or vocalic signs. When you have no vowels, how would you know how to pronounce the words? For example, if you had the letters T-L-L, how would you know whether the word in a given text was toll or tall or tell or till? Yes, it's true. You would have to rely on the context of the sentence. But the way we think of a sentence assumes punctuation, and we don't have punctuation in the Isaiah scroll. Could this be more different than our books today? Can we conceive of a book without spaces between the words, with no punctuation, all capital letters, and no vowels? The thought is bewildering. So what to make of this complexity? What level of concentration would you have needed to focus and not lose your place? How would you know whether the text was expressing a question? How would you know where to pause or to change one's tone of voice? How would someone read this? The answer is, they could not. The untrained person, even if literate, which at the time was rare, could not read it. This complex task of reading a biblical scroll, like the Isaiah scroll, was the domain of a special class of readers. There was a whole culture built around the crafting, maintenance, management, and reading of biblical scrolls. It was a complex enterprise. The ancient priestly class were specially trained, reared on the biblical texts, trained from young to memorize the texts and learn them in order to read them to the congregation. They knew the text, the way the text should be pronounced, and what to emphasize before they stepped up to the scroll to read it aloud. We have a remnant of this tradition today in our liturgy. 
It is not just anyone who can go up and read the gospel. It is the domain of the priest or the deacon assigned by the priest who brings the gospel book out of the altar, stands before the congregation, opens the book, and reads it aloud to them. Factor number three, the mechanics of the scroll. The way the scroll works is that it is rolled and unrolled. When it is rolled up, it is made compact and suitable for storage or to be carried. When it is unrolled, it is for the purpose of being read. The Isaiah scroll would be unrolled from right to left, slowly revealing the columns of text. So what comes into view is a few columns at a time. What one can see with the eye is only a small portion of the whole text. The rest is rolled up. What does this mean? It means that you cannot read ahead. The scroll limits how much text is exposed. The reader is locked in forced into reading it as a continuous text. The scroll controls the reader. The reader is forced to submit. You cannot easily go back and forth between texts. You cannot unroll the whole scroll and easily find your place. That's not the way it functioned. You have to deal with the section of text that is in front of you and follow it. And as it is slowly unrolled, more is revealed, and you follow that. We learn something very important from the biblical scroll, and that is that the Bible is not meant to be dissected. The submission of the reader is assumed. The reader does not have control. He does not lord over the text. The scroll won't let him. He cannot decide that he would prefer to start in the middle or at the end. It is a continuous story, and it is intended to be delivered that way. The text is to be poured into the ear of the hearer as it is written. Compare this to what we have today. Bible as book has distorted this dynamic. The book form we have today allows the reader to control the text. Our Bibles have many visual cues. Text is distinguished by verses and chapters, and of course, punctuation. We also have page numbering. Some Bibles have little tabs that allow you to easily flip between biblical books. Book form is now crafted for the convenience of the reader. And while this has made the biblical text more widely accessible, there is nothing in the book form that holds the reader to submit to the text as it stands. The reader can choose where they will begin to read the biblical text. They can, as many do, ignore the Old Testament books altogether and read only the New Testament books or only the Gospels and not Paul's epistles. There are Bibles, and I use that word in quotes, for sale today that exclude many books of the Bible. 
including the Orthodox Study Bible. Now, I believe they have now published the complete Bible, but their early publications include only the New Testament and the Psalms. This kind of picking through and selecting only certain texts and labeling it the Bible is quite a scandal to me and unacceptable. You are free to make a book of the New Testament and the Psalms. I have no problem with that. But do not call it the Bible. The Bible is not yours or mine to tamper with, because when you do that, it is no longer the Word of God, but your Word, fashioned the way you want to say what you want to say. It is now an idol of your making. This is not the way of the biblical scroll. So to recap, we have reviewed the features of the Isaiah scroll as an exemplar of ancient biblical scrolls. We have seen that the physical properties of the scroll lock in a particular purpose, and that is for the instruction of the community. It had what I've been calling a liturgical function. Its continuous text was to be read aloud to those gathered, poured into the ears of the hearers, and not just once, but repeatedly. It is the scroll which rules. It has authority over both the reader and the hearer, and this is how the biblical text is intended to function. God's instructional story judges you. You do not judge it. Until next time, this is Vexed. Vexed is a production of the Ephesus School Network.